Since Heather's body was found in Texas, investigators from Montague County, Texas, took the lead on her case, but they were joined by investigators from Jefferson County, Oklahoma, the Texas Ranger Division, and the FBI. Since state lines had been crossed, the crime becomes federal and the FBI, FBI has to get involved. Since Heather was from Warica, the 20 investigators set up a makeshift command post at the local train depot, fitted with phone lines and wired for laptops. At first, Gail and Dwayne, who are Heather's parents, often dropped in to see how the investigation was progressing. They'd stop in to say thanks, and sometimes they would even bring home-cooked meals for the team investigating their daughter's murder. I bet the investigators fucking love them. Yeah, no kidding. Also, it would be really hard to... <laughs> I mean, that probably made him work real hard, but, like, same time, the investigators are probably like, don't fucking cry. They're bringing you home-cooked meals. Yeah, they're bringing you home-cooked meals. <laughs> it's Yeah. I think a part of that is, like, busy. Keep busy. Keep busy. Don't dwell on things. For sure. And then also, it's a small town, so I can imagine. Um, and Gail was owning and running the local subway. So... Everyone knows who she is, probably. Mm -hmm. Most people know who she is. And yeah. I bet in this small town, people were stopping by the rich's house often to be like, you know, here, Briar casserole. Mm -hmm. I know times are hard, so they probably also just had so much food. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally me speculating. I'm just picturing that that's also what went down. And like you said, just something to stay busy and to seem involved. Mm-hmm. The first few days of the investigation seemed really promising. Investigators had interviewed over 100 people in the days after Heather's body was found, so they were learning a lot about the town and the people. But after a week, what seemed like progress quickly stagnated. The majority of local teens refused to speak with police and investigators, and they realized a lot of the information they were receiving was speculation. It was a very small, tight-knit community, so the horrific murder had completely rocked Warika, and it frightened most of the people living there, which led to gossip and to rumors, because you don't have answers. So when they have this little community, they're just going to seek comfort however they can. And that often comes from the speculation of gossip and rumors. Actually, it doesn't even have to be a small town. That's just normal. Mm -hmm. Some people said that they saw Heather hitchhiking. Others put her in various locations, like in a pickup truck with some guys, at a phone booth on the outskirts of town. Some speculation went a lot further. Heather was silenced because she witnessed the murder of a local teen that had been ruled a suicide. So she had to go, too. And this uh, is referring to Dennis Goss, yep. who died suspiciously and police did initially consider the idea that the two deaths were connected. Yeah. But uh, as we'll see, they're not. But, well, actually, we don't even know if they you are. see how they people speculating would just yeah. put those two together, think that's just such a perfect match, and therefore it has to be true. Exactly. Especially yeah. because the, the deaths were so close together. No satanic panic this time? No, it's the 90s. They're over it. Oh, okay. She... <laughs> she other people speculated, you know, Heather, she was a dancer at the strip club and she met foul play that way. She ran with the local meth dealers. Things went rude. south and they murdered her at a cotton gin. Also rude. 
Yes. Out of what? A cotton gin. The old cotton gin. Yeah. I had to Google it. What is it? Well, you see, I thought a cotton gin was a thing, which it is technically. But it's also, in this case, in Oklahoma, referred in reference to the actual factories that like process cotton. Oh, okay. Whereas I thought it, a cotton gin was like a thing that helped gather cotton. But yeah. It's both. Okay. So that's where they were like, that's where she's murdered, at the cotton gin. <laughs> the name of the supposed dealer that killed Heather was actually given to investigators, so they did follow up on it, but this person had an airtight alibi. They're like, sorry about the meth, but no, I did not kill Heather. Sorry about the meth. <laughs> <laughs> the most credible lead said that Heather snuck away from home on the night of October 2nd to attend a party at Josh Bagwell's, and the police thought this was the best lead to focus on. It was actually Texas Ranger Lane Aiken that steered the investigation toward this angle instead of focusing on the drug scene, which is where everyone's mind was going. And uh, Ranger Aiken was like, no, I think this, this tip about Josh Bagwell and the supposed party is the way to go. Uh, because even though Josh and Randy denied seeing Heather that night, Aiken did not believe them. His suspicions were heightened mostly due to Randy's behavior. Randy often sat on his porch, holding his head in his hands, being real emo. He drank heavily and was almost always under the influence of booze or drugs or both. And then you'll remember, I ended, basically ended part one by telling you that Randy was crowned homecoming king. And this is a tiny ass town, you know, everyone knows the homecoming king. So the local newspaper wanted to interview him and do like a profile, I guess, on him. And during this interview, Randy was very distant and depressed. He ignored a lot of the questions and the ones that he did answer just didn't sit well with Aiken. And Randy said his favorite color was black. And when asked for words of wisdom, he answered, quote, cruise the back roads. So... What? Yeah. Didn't even try and fake anything? Like, what <laughs> no. the fuck? So, this Texas Ranger, Lane Aiken, was just like, this kid stinks. I don't like this kid. This kid's fucking disgusting. We have to look into this. Josh never really spoke with police or investigators outside of denying seeing Heather that night. It was Randy who would sort of talk to them. But they knew Randy was just reiterating the same story over and over again, like it was rehearsed, you know, saying like, I spent all night in the quote party trailer behind Josh's house playing dominoes and drinking whiskey. Never saw Heather that night. No nope. Playing dominoes. That's the story. Playing dominoes, drinking whiskey in it, like a travel trailer that was like a behind. Fucking, like, is he like an 85 year old Polish man? What the fuck is, place dominoes in the back trailer at a, at a fucking high school party. I think a lot of people in the South play dominoes. Oh, really? Is this so. a thing? Am I insulting an entire, like, half of a country right now? <laughs> I mean, what, I don't play dominoes. Yo, if you're part of the, if you're part of the, um, <laughs> domino circuit down there, just let, you, just, just let everyone know, I'm coming for you. Fucking put those together, you fucking losers. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How about you doma don't, bitches? Anyways, please proceed. Now for Christmas, I'm just going to buy you Domino's and not pizza? the pizza. Uh, you don't even want the pizza. I don't even want the pizza. Even that shit. Yeah, I think we're the only two that don't like Domino's pizza. Ugh. Most people love it. It's Canada's favorite pizza. 
lol. <laughs> All right, so yes, Ranger Aiken is like, we have to get, we have to talk to Randy. Josh, no, this kid's a snob. He's the one who's always like, I want my attorney. I don't have to speak to you. I'm resisting arrest. Blah, blah, blah. That's Josh. Randy, though, he's only emo. He'll talk, but just saying the same thing. I was in the party trailer. I was playing dominoes. I was drinking whiskey. I never saw Heather. Verbatim. That's I feel like Randy's a super weak link that you could eventually manipulate because he thinks he's doing good. Yeah, he's a weak link. You can't really... I wouldn't say he's manipulated at all. Uh, he's a weak link. No, I mean, like, you could manipulate him is what I mean. Oh, like, probably. That's what, that would be my route. If I was an officer, I'd manipulate. <laughs> we know. <laughs> it was during one of these interviews that Aiken and the rest of the investigators learned that there was actually a third dude drinking with Randy and Josh that night. Another teenager named Curtis Gamble. And this guy is a piece of work. Was Curtis Gamble hanging out in the shed playing dominoes? He sure is, apparently. Wow, he's living in, up to that name, huh? It's a travel trailer. Excuse me, a party trailer. It's not a shed. They're, Josh's grandparents are very rich. It's probably a Ladies very out there, trailer. If, if you hear anyone try and defend that distinction, run. Okay? <laughs> I'll go hang out in my party trailer. Party shed. <laughs> Just run. But it's a small town. Everyone's bored. Curtis Allen Gamble is a Pisces born on February 24th, 1977 in Montague County, Texas to Shirley Jean Matthew and Volton Ellis Gamble Jr. So uh, Curtis is the oldest of these three guys. He's 19 in October of 1996. Josh was almost 18 and Randy um, was 17. He had just turned 17. Curtis was a high school dropout living with a 64-year-old grandmother, Rita Robbins, and Terrell, Oklahoma, which is 20 miles south of Warica and only a mile from the Texas border. Curtis was a little asshole. Locals described him as mean, a hellraiser, and an officer later said that he was, quote, the most violent person I've ever known. When you're around him, you literally feel like you're in the presence of evil. Well, that's a fucking upsetting characterization. Yes, at school, before dropping out, Curtis forced other boys to fight each other, and locals believed that he killed livestock for fun. How do you force other boys to fight each other? Not sure. I'm not a manipulator. Yeah. Curtis, also, <laughs> Curtis was incarcerated in multiple youth detention centers, all of which he escaped. He was briefly committed to a psychiatric hospital at 17 years old. And on February 13th, 1996, so that's just eight months before Heather's murder, he was convicted of, quote, feloniously carrying a firearm. But instead of doing any time, he received a five-year suspended sentence, which is incredibly unfortunate, as we'll come to see. Do you know what a suspended sentence is? No, I was going to ask you. Uh, you are guilty. You're found guilty. A judge believes you are guilty, sentences you as guilty. But instead of jail time, you get probation. So he's not in jail. He's on probation for oh five years. Oh my god. Yes. I should have been in jail. Curtis was friends with Josh Bagwell through their shared interest in guns and camping and fishing by the river where they often hung out. Curtis and Randy were originally only acquaintances after they both worked in a watermelon field for a summer. On their lunch breaks, they had gotten high together, just 
boring stuff like that because you have to work with them. Is this the sequel to Call Me By My Name? <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> it just sounds too perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but after that job ended, loading the melons into the back of Sammy trailers, they'd seen very little of each other. Uh, they never really knew much of about one another. You know, it was just mostly a thing of convenience. They work together, they get high together, it's fun. They had only recently gotten to know one another better when Randy and Josh started hanging out more. And then kind of by association, you're friends with Curtis. In the lead up to Heather's murder, Curtis was brooding over the supposed suicide of his friend, 20-year-old Dennis Goss. Again, this is just going to show how tiny this community is. Curtis even told his grandma that Dennis didn't take his own life. He had been murdered and he's going to find out who did it. The day Heather's body was found, it was obviously big news. Everyone was wondering where Heather was, what what happened to her, if they would find her alive, dead, whatever. So the body's found. Everyone's hearing about it. So Rita, um, Curtis's grandma, told Curtis about it. Like, hey, they found that they found Heather. They found her body. Curtis is sitting outside on the porch playing her old guitar. And he just kind of stopped playing, he sat there really silently, didn't say anything. So Rita went to say something else, and Curtis cut her off, just saying, Grandma, I don't give a fuck about that little girl. Wow. Yes. I would just just throw him out. Uh-huh. Throw him out into the trash. You could leave with the old guitar, just get out of here. No, it's my guitar. Fuck you. You don't get an ounce of enjoyment from me. You just go to the fucking dump. (laughs) (laughs) So just by that statement, we can see that Curtis is ice cold. He's very troubled. Someone investigators were definitely interested in since he was at the trailer that night with Josh and Randy. And they were certain that these guys knew more than they were letting on, especially because, you know, Josh isn't talking to anybody. They're not going to get anything from him. But Randy's he'll just keep saying the same thing. No, played dominoes, drank whiskey, me and Josh, that's it. Then all of a sudden, he's like, well, fine, Curtis was there too. There's three of us. So they know, like, hmm, there is more to the story. It will come out. Then, finally, investigators got a pretty big break that they needed. A local sheriff's deputy discovered that Sharice, who's Josh's mother, Josh and Curtis, so Sharice, Josh, and Curtis, went to Beaver Creek Lumber and Hardware, which is a store in Warica. They went there on October 1st, which is the day before Heather went missing or was murdered. The shop owner, Carolyn Beaver, told Josh and sold Josh and Curtis four boxes of Winchester Double Out Buckshot with Sharice's permission. That's why she was there. Mm-hmm. Because Josh was going to buy it. He's loaned the money. But he was 17. So, yeah, Sharice was there, gave permission. They got shotgun ammo. Naturally, investigators wanted to talk to Curtis about his potential involvement with Heather's murder and what he, Josh, and Randy were up to that night, especially after learning Buckshot's purchased with Josh as well. Mm-hmm. But... They weren't having any luck being able to talk to Curtis because much like Josh, he was staying very tight-lipped. Curtis and Rita 
his grandmother, were both very uncooperative. They didn't want to deal with the police at all. Paul Smith was an investigator with the Montague County District Attorney's Office, uh, which is on the Texas side. And he was Ranger Aiken's partner in this investigation. And he had previously investigated Curtis's great-grandmother's murder. So he figured he could get her talking, get Rita talking, because they were acquainted. And Rita might trust him because way back in the 80s, I guess not way back at this point, it would have been like Decade. 14 years. Yeah. So, you know, the decade prior, Paul Smith had a rapport with Rita. So he's like, I'll, I'll come along. Maybe I'll be able to get her talking. And for those who are curious, the great grandmother that was murdered it was Kate Rich. And she was murdered in 1982 by Henry Lee Lucas, which is a huge name in true crime. Everyone knows the name Henry Lee Lucas. He notoriously confessed to hundreds of killings that, at the time, officers gladly accepted as reality. But in hindsight, it's impossible that he's responsible for all of the murders he claimed. Mm -hmm. Kate Rich's murder, however, holds up as truth. It That is one that actually appears Henry Lee Lucas really did uh, murder. Okay. So I won't derail further talking about it. So maybe I'll do a brief coverage on Instagram or something, but... Anyway, this tactic did work. Rita seemed more at ease with Paul Smith and started to openly talk with both Smith and uh, Texas Ranger Aiken, eventually telling them more about Curtis and then more about Old Blackie, which was Curtis's OF Mossberg and Sons 12-gauge shotgun. Okay. Also referred to as a Mossberg M9. So I'm just going to say Mossberg M9 if okay. I'm talking about that gun. <laughs> we not say old blackie starting now? Yeah, I'm not calling it old. Da it's just a <laughs> quote. Oh, oh yeah. St <laughs> stupid fucking name. It's a Mossberg M9. It's a shotgun. Yeah. That's what matters. Forensic tests were done on the buckshot and the wadding in Heather's body. And a, fire, a firearms expert had determined it was, quote, consistent with double-lot buckshot Winchester ammunition and that the likely murder weapon was a Mossberg M9 shotgun, unquote. Um, we're not gun people. <laughs> no. I had to Google what, the, what wadding was. Wadding, wadding. I don't know. Yeah. It's essentially a cup inside of the shell that holds all of the pellets. So that explodes when the... Oh, okay. Yeah, and all right. I so gotcha. little pieces of the pellets yeah. and the wadding and stuff get stuck in wounds. Okay. That's what that was. And that firearm expert was like, hmm, this is definitely double-lot buckshot, uh, very consistent with a shotgun, such as a Mossberg M9, a.k.a. Curtis's gun was the murder weapon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. On the night of October 24th, 1996, two weeks after Heather's body was found, Curtis Gamble, Randy Wood, and Josh Bagwell were arrested and held without bail. All three were arraigned on kidnapping and fugitive counts. 
Curtis was arrested first and without incident. Ranger Aiken actually said he was, quote, extremely cooperative and seemed to be enjoying the attention, unquote. When questioned about his shotgun and the ammunition, Curtis said they were for hunting and he could prove it. So he then led the FBI on a wild goose chase through pastures looking for spent hulls. And he located zero shells and finally came clean to officers by admitting there was a possibility that he was involved in Heather's murder. And here's what he told Aiken. October 2nd began as a normal night out, which involved heavy drinking. He went on to say he didn't previously know Heather. He met her that night, October 2nd, after she had snuck out of her house for her first date with Josh. Heather joined them in the trailer and Josh plied Heather with alcohol until she was drunk and the two had sex, quote, for a couple of hours. Curtis said that after Heather began drunkenly flirting with him and Randy, they were going to, quote, get a piece, but she passed out. Even though she passed out, Curtis says Randy was messing around with Heather. He was jealous that Heather had sex with Josh and never would have sex with him. Curtis said she momentarily regained consciousness while Randy was assaulting her, began crying and screaming, and then passed out again. They were worried that she would later accuse them of rape, so they dressed her, and Randy carried Heather, who was still unconscious, to Josh's pickup truck, and they drove to the Belknap Creek Bridge to dispose of her. When they got to the bridge, Randy shot her nine times, once in the back of the head and eight times in the back, and then, quote, instigated the disposal of her body into the Belknap Creek, saying, throw her ass over, unquote, which all three did. So that was Curtis's story. Ranger Aiken, you know, believed some of what Curtis claimed, but he suspected that Curtis himself was the one to shoot Heather, not Randy. It is his Curtis's gun, after all. He also has the gun felony charge. Right. So, you know, you Good take point. everything he fucking says of the great assault because he's giving off straight up Satan vibes. So, uh huh. Literally, that one officer that said he's like the most evil he's ever felt. And then on the other hand, the Montague County, Texas, Texas, Montague County, Texas District Attorney did not believe a word that Curtis said. Both Ranger Aiken and the DA cited Randy's clean record, Curtis's ownership of the murder weapon, and the Montague County crime scene's location being known only to Curtis. He had frequently gone fishing at the Belknap Creek as a kid, and the bridge is also way closer to Terrell, where Curtis was living with his grandma, than it is to Warica. Like I said, Terrell is only a mile from the Texas border. Warica's, what was it, like 20 miles north? Mm. So it makes way more sense that Curtis was the one to choose this location and was the shooter. After giving a statement, the investigators were like, okay, are you willing to do a polygraph test to confirm your statement? As fact and he's like yeah i'll do that and he failed it <laughs> i was gonna say like of course not no way he's gonna fail it he no he's it. an idiot he did it anyway and failed it yes 
So after hearing Curtis's version of events and hearing how he implicated Randy as the shooter, Montague County Sheriff Chris Hamilton interrogated Randy next to see if he would finally come clean about what really happened that night, especially now that Curtis is saying that Randy's the killer. And, I mean, you know, Randy had been just giving this story about, like, nope, never saw Heather, went to the trailer, drank whiskey, played dominoes, that's it. So... He's like, okay, do you have a story to tell? Because Curtis talked and he's saying you murdered her. So what's your story? And this entire next part is in Randy's words. And it's a little bit long, but I'm just going to go through and read. I had just finished football practice and was sitting at my grandmother's house when Josh and Curtis stopped by. Josh said, I've got a bottle of whiskey. Let's go. So we took off and drove around the lake. We passed around the bottle of whiskey until it was gone. It was almost dark when we went back to town. A guy we knew who was a few years older than us bought us a case of Budweiser. Heather had left a message for Josh earlier, so he called her back from a payphone, and they made a plan to rendezvous at midnight. We went and bought some chips and cheese, and he tried to round up some more people, but no one wanted to go to a party on a school night. The three of us went to Josh's house and told his grandparents we were going to play dominoes in the travel trailer took a radio out there and started drinking. When we went to pick Heather up, she was already gone. She wasn't waiting at the church, and there was no answer when I tapped on her bedroom window. When we got back to the travel trailer, she took us by surprise because she was just sitting there, waiting on us. We all went inside, and she grabbed a fifth of gin that Josh had gotten out of his grandparents' liquor cabinet. I asked Josh to give me the keys to the truck so me and Curtis could get out of there, and we took off. We drove the back roads all the way to Comanche, but we couldn't find the girls we were looking for, so after a while, we went back. Josh answered the door and said, let me get dressed. I remember I was opening another beer when I saw that the bottle of gin was almost gone. Heather was in the bedroom, and she came out. She had no clothes on, and she could hardly stand up. She started telling me she was sorry. I guess she thought I was thinking bad of her for being with Josh, because me and her had never done it. We went back into the bedroom, and she kept saying she was sorry. She was really drunk, and I was pretty far gone myself. She was naked, and she wasn't saying no, so I started touching her. I was getting ready to have sex with her, but she passed out, so I stopped. I grabbed my clothes and put them back on and got another beer. At some point, Curtis went back there with Heather, too. Whatever he did, I didn't see it. I didn't hear anything. When he came out, he said, she's awake. But when I went back there, she was still passed out. We were all three drinking beer and talking, going back and forth, when Heather woke up and screamed. Then she passed out again. She did that twice. Curtis started freaking out. He said, she's going to say that we raped her. He was on probation for a shooting incident. He'd shot at another guy's truck when it was going down the road. He said, quote, I'm not going down for rape. And that's when he started talking about killing her. I thought he was just blowing smoke. We sat there and kept drinking beer. A few minutes later... Curtis told Josh to go get the truck, and he told me, get her dressed. I figured we were going to drive around and get her sober and then take her home. I never thought Curtis was actually going to kill her. Josh went and got the truck and pulled up outside the travel trailer. I put every stitch of clothing back on her. I laid her down in the back seat of the truck, and we all got in front. Josh started driving out of town over a back highway to Ryan and then to Terrell. We drove around for a long time. Finally, Curtis got behind the wheel and said, I know where to go. He drove until we got to the Belknap Creek Bridge. 
I didn't know where the hell we were at. It was a very rural area. The road going out to the bridge had grass on it that was knee-high. Looks like an old wagon trail. That was the first time it started getting real, that Curtis was fixing to kill her. He said to me and Josh, get her out and put her on the bridge. We put her down against the guardrail. She was still completely passed out. I was on autopilot at that point. I didn't feel like I could stop it. It seemed hopeless. I'd like to tell you that if I could do it all over again, I would have saved Heather. But I did what I did to survive. I was scared of Curtis. I was a coward. I got back in the truck and put my head in my hands. I don't know how much time went by, but after a little while, I heard the first shot. And then a bunch more. I was thinking there's no way he had shot her. He had a 12-gauge shotgun. There was no way he'd put all those shells in her. He must have chickened out and fired a bunch of warning shots into the air. But when I got out of the truck, I saw a pool of blood. Joss used a shoestring to tie a rock around her ankle. I was just kind of standing there in shock. Curtis started loading more shotgun shells, and I knew he and I knew he'd kill me too if he got it into his mind that I wasn't on board. So I did what I was told. I helped them throw her over into the water. I picked up the shotgun shells. I covered up the blood on the bridge with dirt. And then we left. Unquote. Fuck you, Randy. <laughs> Fucking dick. Um, also, you wouldn't really be able to tell f- from our editing, but I only messed up once there at the end, which we kept in. Other than that, I just read that whole thing. Yeah. And I feel a little lightheaded. <laughs> Let's put a music right here. So that was Randy's very detailed version of the events that took place the night Heather was murdered. And that music was placed there so I could catch my breath from that very long quote. And also to give you listeners and Dyson a moment to think about everything he said before I came in with my comments, which I have a couple. Of the three guys who were at the trailer that night, Heather knew Randy best. They had dated after all. But this was apparently supposed to be her first date with Josh, which is why she had called him and left a message for him. Because both Curtis and Randy had acknowledged that it was supposed to be their first date. And it's kind of weird that Randy and Curtis were there too. The plan was apparently to get more people out there to party, but no one wanted to since it was a school night. So it ended up being just the four of them. But it's still weird that Randy and Curtis would hang around when it was supposedly a date for Heather and Josh. Which is weird in itself because that's your friend's ex-girlfriend. So... I said it's weird like a hundred times, but whatever. I wanted to acknowledge those things because the whole thing is just fucking weird. And also, all I read about was how there's nothing to do in this town. People party all the time. Local kids, they get together, they party. doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Why all of a sudden does it matter that it's a school night? I just don't like that part of the statement. But moving on, parts of Randy's statement matched Curtis's. But of course, there was also some differences. Randy said that Curtis raped Heather while she was passed out. But he, as in Randy, didn't. Randy admitted to being partially undressed, but he said he did not have sex with her because she passed out. Now, investigators who heard Randy's version of events trusted most of it, almost all of it, actually. But they were skeptical of a statement that he claimed he refrained from touching Heather in the bedroom after she passed out. And investigators pressed him on this further. 
Then he finally admitted that he did. He digitally penetrated Heather. Well, she was unconscious, which he's like, but I didn't rape her. But that is rape. It's digital rape that she did not consent. She's passed out. He entered her. Like, you can't be like, I didn't though. You still assaulted her. Randy can say that he did not rape her. He didn't know any of this was going to happen. He can say that he didn't think Curtis and Josh intended to murder Heather until they were at the bridge. He can plead ignorance and blame being scared all he wants, but he was not innocent. And he was not some silent witness or unwilling observer. He was a participant 100%. He sat back as the dirtbags went into that bedroom with Heather and took advantage of her. He took advantage of her himself, whether he wants to act ignorant about it or not. He dressed Heather after she was raped by every guy in that trailer. He laid her down in the back of Josh's truck. He sat in the front seat of said truck while Josh and Curtis drunkenly drove around with an incapacitated 16-year-old girl in the back seat. He hid in the truck while she was murdered. He helped throw her body over the bridge, and he helped conceal evidence, including Heather's blood on the bridge. He was a participant, and you can debate how willing or unwilling he was, but at the end of the day, he was a coward who raped his ex-girlfriend and sat back as she was brutally murdered. The girlfriend who helped him with his homework and took him to church. He participated in the heinous and depraved crimes against her. Also, he burned her cheerleading jacket that morning after she was murdered. I forgot to mention that. Her cheerleading jacket, he took it with her and he burned it after all of this was said and done. And that was a, a tad heated. But some people are very soft on Randy. <laughs> they think that he isn't as culpable that he didn't really stand a chance because he was a minor, because he's kind of dumb, because he's impressionable and he was scared of Curtis. He was influenced by Josh. He showed remorse. He came clean about his role in the murder. He was honest and open with investigators. So he deserves more of a break and more sympathy. And that is a common theme when you're researching this. And um, I'm just going to say not for me. Not for me. You don't get any sympathy from me. Those are the guys you hung out with. You are just as guilty. And that was a really long rant because, because I hope, I hope it's obvious why. So I'll just take a pause so I can breathe. Dyson, do you have anything to add? No, I agree with you. I mean, I don't, I'm surprised people are taking any kind of sy sympathetic approach to Randy. He wasn't honest and open at all because he fucking did rape her. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're a piece of shit. Super fucking sketchy that he was there for the date with Josh. Makes me question the whole fucking scenario and whether shit was premeditated. I don't know, but it's fucking weird. It's just fucking weird. And I think that this whole, as soon as you were like telling about the story about how he stopped, I was like, no, he didn't. Like immediately. I don't understand why someone would think that someone like that would stop. Right. Of course they didn't. I think that both Curtis and Randy and the way that they fucking try and paint themselves in a fucking rose colored glasses kind of light is the most cowardly bullshit ever and uh fuck both of them you listen to one and they're innocent and everyone else is culpable and then you listen to the other and it's the same deal mm -hmm. and uh the reality is they're fucking responsible for the murder of a 16 year old girl that they raped exactly uh, in a fucking party shack which is just <laughs> fucked up um and yeah i i think they're lying pieces of shit it's just pretty simple you don't get in a situation like this bunch of good old country boys 
and whoopsie doodle if one thing leads to another and you accidentally raped and murdered a 16 year old tossed her body over the bridge right there's there's no call for sympathy none especially because they drove around for two hours this was all like (sighs) as much as they're like oh like you know like i didn't think he would really do it and all this kind of shit like you fucking facilitated this whole thing even if i believed every word you said even if i 100 percent believe this mm-hmm. you facilitated it i do actually believe a lot i believe almost everything he said except he totally raped her yeah um but that's why i went on my rant where i was like he moved her body he dressed her he got in the truck he helped her he, i guess he, i guess he, where he. i don't like it is saying like oh i i fear for my life so i was going along with it and right. you know like to me that's like just like the i was just following orders excuse and yes. that's a dog shit excuse guess what that doesn't play out so well for you mm-hmm. um you think something's going on and you're just following orders you have to do something whether you like it or not Yes. sorry that's just the way it is you fucking signal that a car is coming by you try and persuade them not to do it you do fucking anything before you end up being culpable for murder or else guess what you're culpable for murder mm-hmm. so you know there you go I, I don't know why everyone's just like well randy you know he he didn't want to be there it's like yeah i'm sure he fucking didn't once he realized he's just full out murdered someone but you know what he did everything to lead to that murder he's responsible for it as well and i don't feel sorry for him if he if, if he felt endangered at any point me neither yeah Yeah, and i will clarify that when i say believe every almost everything he's saying i mean and the events of the night i think he laid out the events truly how it happened obviously he's going to diminish his role and yeah i don't believe that it's just because he was scared i don't believe that he had no idea what was going to happen they drove around for two hours what did they drive around for two hours in silence no there was probably panic in that vehicle there was definitely conversations about where are we going what are we doing what are we going to do with her who's going to do it blah 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 for two hours none of those conversations happened i doubt it you knew yeah no they knew what they were going to do and also like you know she's probably waking up in between on this so yeah hmm. i mean even in the trailer there's so much there's so much of like there were so many options available to these kids before murdering someone so many like as awful as it sounds another option was to drop her off somewhere yeah like they like even he randy admitted like well i thought we would just drop her off he thought they were driving around still fucking time two hours of looping around the fucking back road you fucking asshole the whole time though curtis is just apparently panicking because she's gonna say that they raped her why would she say that they raped her oh because they did yeah because you fucking did because all three of them did yeah oh just disgusting just just foul so i had to rant and rave about that because as i'm researching and writing coming across so many articles where the old like the previous the former district attorney I guess the district attorney at the time this all would have been happening talks about kind of feeling bad for the sentence Randy ultimately gets, uh, hearing people advocate for him to have gotten a lesser sentence, all kinds of stuff. And um, it was just making me really, really mad because I'm like, fine, put yourself in anyone's shoes close to this. 
and close to Heather. Imagine you, making that something. Like, Sorry, go ahead. You are a part of this group that raped a 16-year-old girl and disposed of her body after murdering her. I'm sorry. How are we picking and choosing which one of these three gets the sympathy? I, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. I'm sure I rant about it more later in my notes, but yeah. So. Just imagine making that your, your point. Uh, after hearing this whole story, your, one of your points is, I think Randy should have gotten a lesser sentence. Right. I would have been like, maybe just shut up about that. Yeah. Fucking, you could tell us what happened and all that kind of shit, but maybe on your little spark notes after figuring out the case, you don't include i think randy someone who is responsible for and facilitated rape and murder should get a lesser sentence yeah and i just that's a, that part a stance that people take mm. <laughs> gee i wonder what our stance is <laughs> okay sometime after his statement to investigators randy was transported from his jail cell to the office of a respected polygraph examiner in dallas where he underwent a lie detector test and the results showed no deception he completely passed um giving this whole statement that i read whereas curtis had failed his test so i mean say what you want about polygraph tests the fallback on polygraph tests is always they're not admissible in court but that's because they're not a hundred percent reliable but they're like 98.9 or 99 percent accurate so Mm. that says something while randy was giving his statement to sheriff hamilton aiken served the arrest warrant for josh bagwell at his grandparents place in josh's bedroom there were two swords an sks assault rifle with a bayonet another assault rifle and a book on bomb making Though Josh initially refused to go with um, the Texas Ranger, he finally relented. But unsurprisingly, Josh exercised his right to remain silent. As Aiken drove, he tried to engage Josh in conversation, saying, quote, I'm sure you've had some sleepless nights since Heather's murder. Josh replied, you just woke me up. Did it look like I was having trouble sleeping? Wow. Yeah. Josh Bagwell, everyone. Piece of shit. Upon arrival at the police station, Josh did not give a statement to police. Obviously, he had exercised his right to remain silent. And unlike Randy and Curtis, he refused a polygraph, obviously. So, regardless of who pulled the trigger and the fact that Josh wasn't giving a statement, all three grubs were considered equally responsible for Heather's murder under Texas law. And they were all formally charged with first-degree murder in Montague County, Texas, on October 25th, the day after their arrests. And that's where I'm ending part two. Uh, part three is available now, like part two, and the story will pick up immediately. Again, no recaps or banter, just right into the story, which will continue with the trials. And yes, that's plural. They were all tried separately. And we'll get into that in part three, um, which will be the final part. So um, yeah, dice into your thing. See ya, bitches.